so you think you've got what it takes to join the Alliance. Can you say the same thing when you're pitted against the Emperor's legions of stormtroopers, led by his Sith enforcer Darth Vader? Mind you, this is the Empire that wiped out the Jedi Order and took over the Republic in a near-perfect coup. The course you will take is a dangerous one, and we are vastly outnumbered. We need beings of courage, intelligence, and strength of will. Commanders Marco Cohen and Matthew Franke are waiting to debrief you. As veterans of the Clone Wars, they are some of the best. They even survived the Jedi Purge. You are fighting for freedom and hope now. So go on, get moving. Oh, and Rookie. Welcome to the Rebellion. Hello and welcome back to the Rebels podcast. I am your host, Michael Cohen. Uh, Matt is not with us tonight for our second episode, but we have a special surprise. We have uh, I, the, the infamous, the, the ubiquitous, I don't know, the, the unanimous, uh, Steve Glosson. I will, I'll, out of those monikers or those adjectives, I will accept yeah. unanimous. <laughs> unanimous and, okay. and infamous infamous because i'm not really sure what ubiquitous means so <laughs> i think u- ubiquitous just means everywhere okay everywhere like like a-, a while ago iphones were really unique but now iphones are ubiquitous right like everybody has an iphone so it's like everybody listens to steve lawson everybody oh, knows I who steve lawson is i don't think that's true but okay i'll take that then <laughs> Well, well all, all of our listeners know who you are. Well, so. that's that's great. That's great. And I and this is your second episode. And you know what my yeah. experience in podcasting has been um, is that usually I have the the episode two curse. And as much as <laughs> like my first episodes will go great, and I'll feel like it's going to be perfect, and then the second episode will hit, and I'm like, wow, that was horrible. And um and, and that generally has been the case with every podcast I've ever undertaken is the first one seems to go well, and then the second episode is like it all falls apart. So, <laughs> well, so let's, hope, let's hope that I don't bring that here to you. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. I, I'm trying to remember back because I, I, I believe you were on the second episode of Clone Wars podcast on, on, on Frontlines, right? Um, I think it was the second episode, and it's so hard to remember that long ago because that was... Dude, that was, uh, August two thousand and eight. Yeah, that's. Been, uh, I was gonna say it's been six years. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You were on the second episode of Frontlines, so it's kind of. I guess this is now officially a tradition. Okay. Uh, that that you uh, that you're you're guest hosting on the second episode uh, of 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 a Star Wars podcast. I was gonna say because you, I've not you, been on the old, the old Quiver. Yeah. Um, Quiver is difficult because Quiver we do over, uh, we don't do it over anything. Amanda and I sit in one room and do it. So it's a little bit different, but yeah, you guys rock uh, that like the minute the episode's over for Arrow, right? Yeah. We, uh, we watch the episode and then we start the episode over again and record our commentary on that. Oh, so that's, Quiver, yeah, that's, that's quiverpodcast.com. Yeah. Yes, quiverpodcast.com. Uh, again, everybody who's listening to this already knows that. They're, uh, they're just, it's just, it's very, um, 
incestuous the uh the 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 <laughs> podcast listening crew it's all they all kind of you know you listen to one podcast and you just listen to all of them yeah, um, it's like you, to, you know how that works i know i'm trying whole, to figure out how whole. to break out the circle and find some new listeners but <laughs> <clears throat> but kevin smith and chris hardwick have them all yes yeah, if only we could uh, nail down whatever it is that they've got. Oh, right, that that's right, they're famous. That's right, that's uh, right. They were famous before they started podcasting. But uh, I like to think that we're a little bit famous because we podcast. Well, I like, so, <clears throat> I like to think that we're the real mavericks in the podcasting thing. They talk yeah. about it and everything. They talk about how it's this great new medium and, and how it's so wonderful. But, I mean, I know for a fact that I was podcasting before Kevin Smith ever got on a mic, <laughs> you know, as yes. well as I think Chris Hardwick, you know, yeah. as far as podcasting goes. So, um, so you know, I was here first. <laughs> but... You know, I, I'm not going to hold a grudge because it brings more people to podcasting. Oh, it yeah. makes it mm-hmm. a household word. Because I remember when we started, uh, I mean, you started before me, but even when I started, when you say to people, oh, I've got a podcast, they'd be like, you got a what now? Yes. I, <laughs> but now today, when, like, uh, or especially with Quiver, it's been very different. You say you have a podcast and people go, oh, cool, you have a podcast? Because they, they actually know what that means because yep. of guys like Kevin Smith oh, sure. and Chris Hardwick. So. Sure, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, let's talk about some Star Wars. Let's, I, that's uh, what I'm here to do. I don't yes. know. I don't. I mean, now, granted, I do have to pat myself on the back for not getting a plug in for Geek Out Loud at geekoutpodcast.com <laughs> yet. So, um, yeah, that that was that, that required a lot of restraint. It did. Probably. It did because you know I love to talk about Geek Out Loud and all the things we're doing over there with the wrestling podcast, Mark Out Loud, and the new music podcast, Rock Out Loud, and of course myself and Carl from the Wampas Lair with know what I'm saying and then of course you know geek out loud it's all at geekoutpodcast.com and I'm I'm really proud of myself for not mentioning it yet. Yeah, I mean you haven't even said anything about the Big Honkin show yet. That's so. true too at the bighonkinshow.com. <laughs> <laughs> but I I let, let's let's talk about a little bit of Star Wars. I hear We're going to talk about Rebels. Okay. I and I'm going to I'm not going to beat around the bush on this. Steve, you've got some opinions about the, about Rebels. I, well, I, yeah. I guess so. Un- unformed opinions, I guess. Well, like, it's, I, yeah, I, I'm. I'm really. I'm cautiously reserving judgment because I've not been blown away with anything we've seen or heard about yet. And the reason being is because um, it, it's when you're dealing with stories like the Star Wars mythology, and you're dealing, you're going to be dealing in archetypes. I understand that, but you also have to be careful. I think sometimes to not. Um, ripoff is is such the wrong word, and and I can't think of another word to use. Uh, re- retread. Yeah, retread is is a better word. It's it's a much softer, easier thing to to <laughs> say. Retread. Yeah, you've got to be careful not to retread where you've already been. And I feel like with some of the character types they have, that's exactly what we're getting. Mm-hmm. And um and and I know why. I understand that you know we're we're pushing into this more original trilogy era and that sort of thing, but. It's just kind of, it, it's, I, I hate to use the term underwhelmed, but it it has underwhelmed me a little bit with some of the characters we've gotten. Um, I, I understand having the Inquisitor rather than Vader on, you know, as, as kind of your main baddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I trust Dave Filoni. It's been really cool to see, you know, in those teasers especially, you know, you've got TIE Fighters going after the ghost and or just ghost. I don't know, is it the ghost or ghost? 
Um, uh, it's, I believe it's the ghost. Okay, you've got TIE <laughs> yeah. Fighters going after it, and you've got some of the same shots that we had in Star Wars, you know, as far as the from the inside of the cockpit of the TIE Fighter looking out as, you know, as the, as the lasers are firing, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Really cool stuff. It's great to hear those sound effects. It's great to see those ships. But at the same time, um, couple couple my kind of being underwhelmed with the character choices and and the fact that I'm really trying to trust Disney with all of this, but there but you know the independent spirit is gone. And I feel like that's kind of a mark of it that that these characters that seem to, in my opinion now, and I and I don't mean and look, I love Star Wars. And I've never been a Star Wars hater. I'm a staunch defender of the prequels. I love the Clone Wars. I will watch Rebels and probably end up loving it. But now, as leading in and, and you know the months out that we are, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking they've got some work to do to impress old Steve. Okay, so uh, let's 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 start by sort of going back and talking about the characters that have been introduced. Um, in the last episode, I which Matt and I recorded right in the midst of everything that was happening at, uh, uh, let me think, uh, I guess it was Toy Fair. It was New York Toy Fair that they started rolling all of this stuff out because they knew that they had to show off all of the action figures so a lot of the characters would be revealed um, and, and all of the, the marketing materials and that sort of thing. So they started with, we got Chopper pretty early, but then all of a sudden we got, uh, Kanan and then Ezra and then uh, and then Zeb, Sabine and Hera. So uh, when Matt and I had recorded, we had talked about about Chopper and uh, Kanan and Ezra. So what are your feelings on those characters? Like where where do you where do you sit? Now, I've heard you say some things about Chopper that uh, he sounds an awful <laughs> lot like R two. He he does. Does yeah. he not? I mean, it's the it's the it's the astromech droid that apparently has all the answers. Now, see, I think I think where where Chopper gets to be different is uh, is in that analogy that they make, where if R two is your dog, right? Which R two is right. And th- there's a couple of episodes from the Clone Wars. Um, R two come home being the 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 biggest one because that, that that title that episode title is actually. Uh, I, an homage to Lassie. So R2 is supposed to be that. Oh, I thought it was companion. an homage. I thought it was an homage to Snoopy. Snoopy, uh, well, Snoopy, come um, home. Snoopy might be an homage to Lassie as well. Who okay. Knows? All right. Uh, so I, I remember him talking, uh, Dave Filoni talking about it as, as a Lassie thing. Okay. Cause Lassie come home is like, uh, it's one of the famous, like, uh, Timmy stuck in the well or something like that. So, um, so we know that R2 is, you know, your faithful, your faithful pet, your faithful dog. And uh, they've described Chopper, if, if R2 is a dog, then Chopper is a cat. And that means so, I don't like him that much more because I hate cats. <laughs> See, I'm a cat person. So so for me, like, I love dogs, but uh, but but I just, I prefer cats. Um, and I like the that, that subtle change in attitude because where a dog and a cat, I think, are fairly similar as pets. That's why they're the two, whatever, most popular uh, uh, household pets um, where the subtle difference is, is that a dog is always wanting to please like R2 is always always trying to, to to be a hero and be a part of the team and in most cases he is more heroic and, and a better part of the team than half of the people who are trying so um, 
like where you have that, you have the the cat side of it with Chopper. I think he's going to be good comic relief because where they ask him, can you unlock that door and and he'll be a little bit more snooty about it and maybe he'll get around to it but i don't know it's almost like you take r2 and and 3po and you put them together and uh and and you get a little bit of that chopper personality because c3po always seem to argue about stuff um rather than just do it like you know uh, in return of the jedi where where uh, Han tells him, you know, use your divine influence, and he's it's against my programming to to impersonate a de- deity. So, I'm hoping that it'll be a little bit like that, where where Chopper is a little bit more difficult to deal with than say an R2, um, and he's not always right there to help, and sometimes he's more of a pain in the butt than he is than he is, uh, uh, you know, saving the day. Because yeah, I- but, I'll go. But here's the thing with three PO. There's mm-hmm. still the whole desire to serve and to please and that sort of sure. thing. If in, in a galaxy like this, if you've got a droid that's going to be that way, you're going to rewire that sucker. <laughs> you know, you're not going to put yeah. up with you're not going to put up with that attitude. And and I really think what we'll end up seeing is because look, until until the Clone Wars came along, I never kind of saw R two as the dog. R two was always getting into shenanigans and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always going off on his own own way, especially when it's he and three PO together, and um, and usually it's for the greater good. But I, I'm just, you know, for me, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to see this guy do his stuff. You know, it's not, and understand, it's not that I'm not giving Chopper a chance, but it, it's just that I'm just kind of, I'm look. It caused me to speaking of dog, caused me to tilt my head like a dog a little bit and be like, <laughs> now what am I hearing here? And so. You know, I, it's um, I it's so so with Chopper, I was just, I I don't know, I I like that he's an R five, mm-hmm. I like his look, you know, I I like the fact that he's put together like he's kind of Frankenstein all together, mm-hmm. um, and he's not just the shiny, uh, the shiny well put together droids we're used to seeing. That right. he's got a little bit of a unique character to him, mm-hmm. um, in his design at least. So I, uh, you know, like we'll have to see, wait and see him in action because I think one of the biggest things is that we really haven't seen anything from the show yet. Yeah. Um, we've, we've heard a lot about how things are intended to work. Um, and, and I have total faith in, in Dave Filoni and, uh, and uh, the rest of his crew to make sure that, that what they want is what comes out. Um, but I, uh, but yeah, we we haven't really seen any of these characters in action yet, mm-hmm. with the exception of of those other two that have been uh, announced, I guess. Um, Kanan and Ezra, I'll, I'll I'll give them to you in a package because okay. I think that that's how they're intended to be taken. I mm-hmm. uh, when because when I first uh, saw the announcement for for Kanan, I was really disappointed. Right, uh, I I was really hoping that they would shy away from the Jedi thing, that there would be no lightsabers, that this would be, because uh, when they say that it's a it's a lot more like Episode Four, um, if you think about Episode Four and even even Episode Five, uh, there really aren't a lot of lightsabers, right? That it's a uh, it's 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 more special than it was in the prequels, mm-hmm. especially in the Clone Wars, where. Uh, one of the things that that I found myself suffering from, as much as I love the Jedi and 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 the Force and and all of the adventures and stuff that were in the Clone Wars, but there's just a little bit of lightsaber fatigue, where it's like every 
every problem was solved with their lightsabers sort of thing right and and uh, and they they weren't they weren't special anymore uh like they were in the original trilogy and and the prequels suffer from the same problem um they they just become a part of the background and and for me that that really takes away from that moment in return of the jedi where r2 shoots luke's lightsaber up into the sky luke catches it and ignites it and it's a green blade and it's oh. just it's exciting and new yep. and it's the craziest thing ever and even though he's waving it around like somebody who has no idea how to use a sword uh it's still the most exciting one of the most exciting parts of of star wars mm-hmm. not even the original trilogy but the mm-hmm. whole saga well, I, um I, you know i remember when i was watching uh the phantom menace for the first time uh my about 20 about well 10 minutes in if that my friend looked over and he said We've just in this little bit of time gotten more lightsaber action in this time than we did in the entire other three, mm-hmm. and and it's true because what you had is a different era. You had, you know, yeah. you know the Jedi were around; they were there; they weren't in hiding, and and that was just part of who they were. And uh, I wouldn't say I ever got lightsaber fatigue. I, I though, feel like as as it pertains to Kanan and Ezra, I feel like in this time period, obviously you're going to have people who are force sensitive that never goes mm-hmm. away the force never leaves but to have this this guy who is a a they're calling him a cowboy jedi or whatever the case may be in hiding mm-hmm. and uh and then he bumps into this kid that's the street smart hero that's you know uh, force sensitive i just kind of look at that i'm like we don't need that you know mm-hmm. that that's that's not anything that i needed from this series because now it it, to me it's like so it 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 takes away to me how special the fact that what obi-wan is doing is and who luke is and the fact that and i know that so many times you know the one if if i have one big critical thing with me in star wars since the prequels have come out it's the game of semantics we all have to play now you know, when Yoda tells Luke, you know, when gone am I the last of the Jedi you'll be, I think that's truth. I think that Luke is the last of the Jedi at that point. And that's why he has to pass on what he's learned. Not the last mm. of the Force-sensitive people in the galaxy, but he's the last of the Jedi. And I feel like that at this point, five years out from the events of Star Wars, that um, that there shouldn't be any Jedi around. Yeah, you know, and and so I, it's just one of those things they're going to have to sell me on. You know, if he pulls out that lightsaber more than twice in a season, then I'm going to feel like, well, I, I'm going to feel ripped off. Yeah, you know, and if he's fighting the Inquisitor every other episode and they're having a lightsaber battle and he's getting away, at some point the closer comes in and Vader finishes this kid off. Yeah, yeah. So I like what I'm really hoping for is that. Um, We'll get a little bit more of the development of these characters mm-hmm. rather than than especially with Kanan, right. him just being the full fledged Jedi running around with a lightsaber. Um, and and where I sort of turned around on Kanan was when Ezra was revealed because it it started to bring in their dynamic as as the two of them, and it it really it answered a lot of my questions a lot of my worries about Kanan when we started to learn about Ezra because Ezra is is uh, I, I called him in the last episode space Aladdin 
um, because he's kind of he's this the street rat kid uh, running around uh, making trouble for everybody just trying to get by. Yeah. Uh, But then he's also got that that force sensitive thing. Um, In my opinion, I think he might be a little bit of a a rewrite on Anakin um, that that, uh, because if you look at sort of the, the concept art of what Anakin was originally intended to be in the prequels. Um, in, in episode one in particular, it feels like Kanan follows that mold a little bit more because what we ended up with in episode one, for better or worse, was was more of an innocent kid who happened to be really good at racing. Um, and then and then it turns out that he has this dark side. Right. Um, but th- there's more of like a, a, a scoundrelly type feeling from that original concept art. Um, and and it feels like it's coming through in Cain, in uh, sorry in Ezra a little bit. And what I find really interesting is how that's going to mix with Kanan, who's running around uh, uh, trying to you know be as much of a thorn in the Empire's side as possible, uh, but concealing the fact that he's a Jedi. Hooks up with this kid who is also Force sensitive, who's sort of got this latent uh, ability to use the Force a lot like Anakin did. And uh, and how that's going to to mold their relationship as sort of a Padawan and a master, even though if you read between the lines, Kanan is not a Jedi Knight. Right. Uh, And if you if you sort of think about it for five seconds, if if we're talking about uh, five years out, that means it's 14 years after the Clone Wars. If he's. 30 in the series that means that he was 16 when the clone wars happened which means that he was younger than Mm obi-wan in episode one which means that he must have been a padawan right yeah yeah around ahsoka's is he that old though see i didn't think he was even that old that's that's what i'm saying like i'm sort of like erring on the on the uh the conservative side like if we're thinking that he's in his 30s then then tracing it back he was still a kid during the clone wars which means that his master was more than likely killed and he's been on his own since then. Right. Right. So, uh, so I think like there will be sort of like a kindred spirit sort of aspect to him and Ezra, but it'll also be that, uh, he sees a lot of himself in Ezra and wants to help him not make the same mistakes and that sort of thing. Well, and also like a redemption so that he can finally become a Jedi Knight by teaching this Padawan. Yeah. Well, here's what they need to do with that is is he needs they need to um, they need to flesh out his backstory pretty quickly. You know, it needs to be a thing. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a thing where he's like, I was X amount. You know, I was I'd been with my master X amount of years, or I was just a kid, and when all this went down, and he hid me, and I and I've run, I've been on the run since then, just kind of make my way. Whatever the case may be, somehow that needs to get fleshed out quickly. So there's not all this mystery and all this stuff. I don't like the idea of him training Ezra to use the Force. I don't like the idea because the minute you have two Jedi running around um, mm-hmm. is the minute that you're going to get on Vader's radar. And again, he's going to show up because if they, you know, if you have if they're beating the Inquisitor every week, eventually Vader's going to come in and and close the deal. He's going to finish it off because there, he doesn't want Jedi around. And also, don't forget you still have. Um, you've got a galaxy where they're thought to be non-existent anymore. That they're all but extinct, and mm-hmm. um, you know, not just by the Jedi, but by everybody else. Tarkin tells Vader, "You're the last that's left of their old religion." They don't even realize the Emperor is a Force user; that he's the Sith Lord. Yeah. And um, 
And so this old religion is gone. They turn their backs on everything good, you know, according to the propaganda put out by Palpatine and that sort of thing. And so I just feel like, I don't know, it's it's one of those things that they, they just got to sell me on it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's too easy to me to jump to Jedi rather than just someone who was um, just a normal dude whose who's who's home was hurt, ruined somehow by the Empire, and now he's wanting to be a thorn in their flesh. And they pick up this this you know as you said this Star Wars Aladdin kid, and um and he and he ends up tagging along with them somehow and and becoming a help to to the crew this ragtag group of rebels. So, <laughs> but uh you know we'll see. And again, like I say, my big thing is I'm not um anti the situation. I just I feel like everything was a little too easy, especially with those first three characters. Now these other three we're going to talk about. I'm a little bit more user-friendly toward if that makes sense <laughs> okay cool let's uh let's jump into the first of those then uh which is zeb orello is it orellos or aurelios i've heard it i feel like i've heard it both ways uh let me open up this page here and one really cool thing that happened since we recorded our last episode is that on starwars.com if you go to explore there's a star wars rebel section now so you can All actually right. Uh, check out these characters and that sort of thing. Well, here's Zeb. Okay. My name's Zeb, you love rat. Zeb, he's his own new alien species, and you could tell just from the size of him. He's the muscle of the group, but he's he's not just a dumb thug. We always wanted him to have a different angle. I think the first thing that catches people off guard is Zeb's voice. It's possible I may be a little late. The thing they don't really realize about Zeb is that he is a well-trained honor guard. He on his home planet would have been revered for his fighting skills and well-educated. Zeb actually is pretty articulate and witty and funny. Um, that sort of juxtaposed with what he looks like makes for an interesting character. My name is Steve Bloom and I play the character of Zeb, also known as Gerazeb Aurelios, but only to his mom. He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He um, hates Chopper, can't stand him. Is starting to build a relationship with Ezra begrudgingly, I think. No, 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 no way! You cannot be serious! All right, 107. Ezra. Big as he is and, and educated as he is, he's not beyond mixing it up with Ezra. He's not beyond getting wrapped up in these childlike chases and games that Ezra kind of goads him into it. They're just fighting all the time and they don't get along. Uh, they do work together, they have to work together a lot. Whoa. Kid, get out of the way! But then there's also a really true bond between them. You'll see that as the show kind of evolves where Ezra starts sort of as the outcast and then he kind of becomes involved in this family and Zeb sort of plays that big brother role to him. I'm sure there are one or two bucket heads worth punching on the other side. Zeb loves the beat up stormtroopers, it's his favorite pastime. Take two stormtroopers' heads and just take them and bash them together. Uh. <laughs> Wait! Are you fighting stormtroopers? What makes you say that? We kind of wanted to have a lot of fun with him because he gets to do a whole lot of action kind of things and we really get to use him in that way. And you'll see when he's fighting that he gets very physical. He uses his feet and his hands and all kinds of things. He was from a military background, so he is going to have military style moves and things. So similar to martial arts kind of stuff, he'll be probably the one who does that kind of stuff the most. I kind of like that he will take the quickest path or figure something, figure something out really quickly. Um, 
to get it done, whether it's use a big weapon or his fist. If someone's trying to pick a lock on a door, he'd be the first one to just kind of walk past you and kick it open. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, he's fun to watch that way. It's just going to be exciting to develop him and his bizarre new species and to explain to the audience where he came from and the detail of the personal nature of what happened with him. Okay, so there we go. That's our, our, our first uh, of these uh, second half of the characters, uh, Zeb. So what what are your feelings on Zeb, Steve? Zeb, I dig. I dig that he is not a one-dimensional, one-trick yeah. pony kind of guy. I like the fact, you know, because, and I think it's because he's speaking English that it's easier to see. Chewie was not one-dimensional either. You're talking about Chewie who, you know, fixed 3PO, albeit he put his head on backwards. He, you know, Chewie's a mechanic. The, you know, Wookiees are not savages, even though yeah. they're muscle and strong. But he's different enough from Chewie. I mean, he's part of his planet's home planet's honor guard for crying out loud whatever that ends up meaning it means that he's got a military background it means that he knows what he's doing there's a good chance depending on his age that he may have even been a part of the clone wars um you know as we find out more about this species that he could indeed be our connection our real good bridge even more in than, than canaan in a military way mm-hmm. between uh the clone wars and and the original trilogy between you know the prequels and the original trilogy um, and and I love some of the stuff they show as far as the fact that he enjoys going after stormtroopers. You know that he gets a kick out of it. Uh, the the double what they call in wrestling the double noggin knocker, as he <laughs> as he cracks a couple of stormtroopers' helmets together, that sort of thing. And um, you know, obviously, it's going to be you know. And here's where the uh, the typical storytelling comes in. He finds a soft spot in his heart for the little guy Ezra. You know, mm-hmm. and and you see you're probably going to see them interact a lot as they said in the in the thing and so um i he i dig him i really do dig him he's so far he's he's on top of my list as far as my favorite of the new characters okay okay so we're 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 rounding the bend then we're into we're into the 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 excited territory i think with zeb for you i mean i like him yeah i'm excited okay. i i, I excited is such a big word to me anymore <laughs> these days um i i'm i'm He's got me hooked into this show more than the other characters we've been introduced to. How about that? Okay. So for me, what Zeb did is uh, th- this character has uh, uh, Greg Weissman's fingerprints all over him. Um, he reminds me a lot of several characters from uh, Gargoyles. So it- it's that this was the character that really let me know how much influence he was having over the story and how these characters were all sort of being fit together. Cause I think one of the biggest strengths of gargoyles for those who may not have seen it, uh, cause it might be before some of our listeners time. I, uh, I, uh, he, like th- those characters were a tight knit family group. Uh, and, uh, and that made for some really cool relationship based storytelling where it wasn't always just about the plot. Sometimes it was more about the characters than it was whatever MacGuffin they were going after. Um, and, and Zeb, for me, just really feels like one of those characters, which is interesting because uh, that's sort of two connections into the, into the Disney universe because mm-hmm. we've got Space Aladdin with Ezra <laughs> and then we've got uh, I, I, our gargoyle alien with Zeb. So 
Um, well, I, for me, like that, that makes me really happy because because uh, Greg Weissman's a really great writer uh, and creator of 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 groups. Like he's a really good ensemble writer. People talk about uh, Joss Whedon as being like the master of ensemble, and uh, I don't know. I I've, I've watched Shield, so I don't really know if that's true. But I uh, <laughs> just a quick dig at Shield. Um, Although I hear it's getting better, but I think that's just people excited about Captain America. I think, I, well, it it it's not because the characters it got any better; it's because of the plot yeah. that it got better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited. I by by Zeb's introduction because of what it says about, uh, and especially, I mean, they say it right in in his introduction video that it's kind of a family that that they're not just a bunch of soldiers which is really what we got out of out of the clone wars there was a i mean the clones referred to each other as brothers and and that sort of thing but it it had a very hard military vibe to it like everything was built around this uh grand army of the republic and and the clones had their ways of doing things and the jedi had their ways of doing things but with this it, it says to me that it's much more about this singular group than it is about the overall conflict. And so we're going to get some really cool story uh, driven by characters, which when the Clone Wars was at its best was when those stories were being driven by the characters and not by a plot or a MacGuffin. So well, I think I think people will tell you that when Star Wars is at its best, <laughs> it's driven by characters. I mean, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the most well received or, or the you know the, by and large everyone's favorite uh movie from the star wars saga is empire and mm-hmm. it's and it's much more character focused now I, I i dig the fact that this series seems <clears throat> to be going to consistently center on these six characters yeah. and and that it's going to be them doing their thing with the empire and maybe hopefully working their way into the larger rebellion which i think would be interesting in seasons down the road you know have this first season set them up and maybe the season end with them hooking up with uh, a mon mothma or um or one of the generals that we've come into contact with in the past from the rebellion or riken or a Dodon or that sort of thing mm-hmm. and then being incorporated and seeing them more and more incorporated throughout the you know the remainder of the series into the actual rebellion proper and um and and see that thing build you know at, through the eyes of of this group of characters the other thing about zeb that i do want to bring up is i really like the fact that he is his species is based on the original concepts for chewbacca by yeah. ralph mcquarrie and and of course you know that's something you're not going to get away from in this series is the original mcquarrie concepts and that sort of thing and uh and and this is just the biggest of those is is the character of Zeb. If you go back and look at the Macquarie, the early Macquarie paintings and the ideas for Chewbacca, this character, this species, is what uh, he originally had in mind before George said, "No, I want more like a dog." And uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I I really do dig that. I like his voice. I like everything about him. Okay, cool. Um, so that's Zeb. Uh, the next character that we were introduced to. Was uh, and it, it it annoys me a little bit that they left all the 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 female characters till the end, but I uh, but I think we've got two really cool female characters uh, added to this, which is nice because it's good to have that uh, 
that element represented in Star Wars a little bit more. And uh, and as we move forward, I'm hoping that that becomes a more um, equal thing because because uh, the, the original trilogy uh, not not very equally represented. But I let's let's start with uh, with Sabine. Okay. Spectre 5 to Ghost. Going in now. Well, Sabine, now she's one I know the fans will be excited about as soon as I say this, but she's a Mandalorian. She is spunky, she's feisty, she's got a little bit of attitude. And with that comes great understanding of weapons and arms, and uh, she's definitely one that's turned against the Empire, and that's going to be to the Rebels' uh, benefit. Get ready. Two. One. She is very well versed in explosives and she likes to blow things up. She does it with flair because she's also an artist, so she's pretty rad. <laughs> she also does some graffiti art on the side for fun. The Imperials always know when our rebels have attacked because Sabine likes to tag their site. She'll sometimes take her blaster and blast like uh, the Phoenix symbol on the wall. We have a library of graffiti that we get to design for Sabine, but we're always adding in new ones because she's she's always doing something kind of specific. She's adding something that we really haven't seen in the Star Wars universe. We have a, a character that is um, expressively creative through art, whether it's the, the color of her hair or what she's done to her armor. I mean, she's, she, she personalizes things. I love the way she dresses. She just seems hip. She knows how to have fun, but she's also serious. I love her. I wish I was her. She's cool. She's smart. She's kind of a tomboy. She's not like a prissy little girl, and I love that. I'm probably prissier in real life than she is, so I get to kind of explore this sassy, strong, kick-butt kind of character, and uh, I think uh, she's kind of an inspiration. Okay, so th there's an interesting thing that they say towards the end of that, uh, where Sabine is is one of our first uh, really artistic characters in the Star Wars universe. Uh, the expressively artistic, I think, is is what they say, and uh, and and you know, it's something that uh, you didn't really notice it until somebody pointed it out. But I guess everybody's just so busy fighting wars all the time that that it's hard to to fit in some time for some nice relaxing painting. Um, but uh, I think that's really cool. I think that's an interesting element to a character. That, if anything, is one of the most original things that that uh, that Rebels is bringing to the table. But it also feels a little bit kind of. Um, I don't know, maybe contemporary, which it, it's a it. I know that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people on on the internet have been saying that it doesn't really fit with Star Wars. This whole spray painting and tagging and all of that sort of thing that it feels way too. Um, it feels way too Disney XD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it does feel a lot like they're trying to appeal to to a certain demographic with it. But I uh, I don't know, like for me. 
being an artist, it's a cool thing. It's a cool touchstone for a character to have. Um, it's a cool part of the Star Wars galaxy that we, we don't really deal with very often. Um, they, it, it's often part of the world building, but it's never really directly related to a character. So, I don't know. I think to, to, it sort of gets to add this this um, style element to to our characters, to our heroes. And, uh, you know, like the, the ghost, the ship itself, and, uh, and some of this other stuff. Some of the cool... Um, marketing stuff that they've been able to do with it has been revolving around this spray paint type thing. Um, one of the first things was uh, back in December when I got my uh, Christmas card. When I got a Christmas card from Lucasfilm, on the back of it, like I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is cool. I think it had like Boba Fett on it or something, maybe the Bounty Hunters or something. And uh, I was like, oh, this is neat. It's always good to get a Christmas card from Lucasfilm. Makes me feel good about myself. Uh, open it up, look in, and it's you know got a nice Christmas greeting. And and then I flip it over to look at the back. I don't know why, because what's on the back of a of a greeting card? But you flip it over, and spray painted on the back was our first look at that Phoenix logo, the new uh, that that sort of early rebellion logo, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that was the first glimpse that we'd gotten of that and it looked like it had been sort of spray paint tagged on there so i i don't know cool stuff like that that they've been able to do based off of this character but um but that's not really about the character i think i think the most interesting thing about this character for a lot of people is the fact that she's a mandalorian and that her name is very similar to satine from the clone wars who obviously has a connection to obi-wan kenobi so people were speculating and i i was amongst those people that there might be some sort of a connection but unfortunately i'm here to quash everybody's dreams of a connection to obi-wan and satine and possibly their daughter which is what some people were were suspecting um dave filoni has said that it's just a coincidence that that the character has nothing to do with either of those characters and so. Well, I mean, I think it paints a more realistic um, kind of a world for mm-hmm. uh, for for Mandalore because names sounding similar, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I also uh, okay, good. We've got a chick that's an artist, and she's a Mandalorian. You know, I, here's how they can. To me, it doesn't do that much for me. I'm, you know, I know it does for you with your art background, that sort of thing. To me, it's like okay. This seems shoehorned in. Well, let's make her a little, you know, uh, let's really hit this teenage audience, you know, make make her super cool by having her tag things. But if they will throw in something in an episode or even a pilot episode uh, with her talking about how the Empire has not only, you know, crushed out freedom in the galaxy, but they've stifled creativity. And, you know, just have her just talk a little bit about that, how she, you know, how she always heard about some of the great artisans of the past and they're not around anymore. And this is, you know, this is her way to stick it to them. Okay, good. I'll, I'll get on board with that. Because you're, you're, what you're doing there is you're not just having a cool kid. You're having someone whose art is not just personal expression, which is fine, okay? But there's also a purpose to it in the grander scheme of things as far as it goes with the Empire. It's like, look, I want to remind people 
that we have, you know, that we have creative souls, that we have, you know, minds that are free, even if the empire won't let us be free as people. And, and then it, it becomes a little bit more even noble to me, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the idea of throwing a Mandalorian in there. Okay. You know, fine. (laughs) Um, I'm not, you know, Mandalorians don't do anything to really, you know, get me all super stoked and everything because most of the, the hype surrounding Mandalorians comes from Boba Fett, who we, you know, have found out thanks to the Clone Wars and the real Mandalorian. Um, (laughs) and, and I love, by the way, um, and, and everything that Karen Travis did in her novels that, you know, when she got mad and took her ball and went home because, well, they didn't line up with the clone. The clone wars wouldn't line up with what I did. And it's like, so most of the hype around Mandalorians come from external sources. And, you know, for me, I dig them. I think they're cool. I love the idea of what Death Watch was and how, you know, um, Pre Vizsla, when he's first, inter- you know, introduced, basically tells Obi-Wan, you know, we used to make a... You know, for years we warred with the Jedi, and now we're back, and we're going to do the same. And I like the idea that these this is a this is a race, and this is a people who were formidable enough to give the Jedi a run for their money. And you know, and so it lets you know, as he said, she's going to have a lot of knowledge about not just explosives, but weaponry and that sort of thing too. That that as ragtag as this group is, you know, it makes sense for her to be there, and that she's got something to offer other than just being a uh, a kid that wants to graffiti things you know and that her graffiti matters and the, the images you know that that phoenix that sign of the rebellion matters and it and it means something yeah i i think there's also a really cool aspect of it that the fact that she is mandalorian almost justifies the fact that she's an artist because of a lot of things that were established in the Clone Wars. Um, that There were two aspects to that society. Mm-hmm. One side was that warrior sort of uh, uh, what we would, I guess, consider traditional Mandalorians, the Boba Fett-style Mandalorians. And then we had the Satine-style pacifist uh, artisan Mandalorians. And when you looked around Mandalore in the Clone Wars, there was art everywhere. And it was a, it was a very big part of their design, and that's something that that George Lucas really wanted to come across. So the fact that they're carrying that through with this character, I think, is a is a really cool thing. They're doing it in a slightly different way, obviously, with this this sort of uh, 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 spray painted uh, graffiti style. But there's also, I, I think, there's also an aspect of it, like you were saying, where it's it's more about the message than it is about the style and, and that she hopefully she'll be doing this as a way of, of sort of letting people know that, that the empire doesn't control them completely. Right. That they can still, they can still be individuals, even if the empire wants them to say, you know, fall in line and, and sort of be numbers instead of people. Um, so I, I think that there's some interesting room for them to grow that character. I think I, I, other than those aspects, she seems a little bit flat at the moment. Um, and I don't quite know where, they, where they're going to take her character in terms of, you know, backstory and character development. As we talked about with Zeb and talked about with Kanan and Ezra, it feels like there's a... a, a 
sort of a rich history that they're coming from um, as individual characters, not just that they, you know, you stick the word Mandalorian on it and call it a day, you know, sort of say, well, that character is done. Um, they, they have uh, already just in their introductions, they have these interesting backstories that we want to know more about. But with Sabine, I, it might be intentional that they're just holding off on letting us know anything. Maybe it'll be uh, important reveals later on down the road that let us know uh, uh, where she's come from and how she came to be part of this group and that sort of thing. And I'm sure that we'll get that that sort of story eventually. But at the moment, we don't really have it. Um, so we're, we're just kind of stuck with the visual and uh, and a bit of that, that vocal performance to... Uh, to make us interested in the character for me uh, she is she is an interesting character but i don't find her as interesting yet uh as uh, as as the other three uh well i guess four i mean she's more interesting than chopper because he's just a droid right but uh but she's not quite as interesting as ezra kane and her zeb yep. so and see uh, right now they're only they're only hitting one out of five for me thus far <laughs> Okay, I, I see. I see where you're coming from now. I'm okay. starting to maybe. Yeah, I was planning to turn you over to to the excited oh no. side. Oh no! And I'm 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 pouring I'm pouring water all over your fire. Yeah. No. I no. I I think that one of the problems with Sabine is that um, when we didn't know what her story was, when she hadn't been fully introduced, uh, the the community sort of ran away with it because she was originally revealed by way of uh, of of promotional materials right. and for a little while we didn't even have a name for her. um and so everyone was just like oh who's this mandalorian character at first she had the helmet on and people thought she might be ahsoka which i was mm. like have you seen ahsoka's head tail things <laughs> it's not gonna fit in a mandalorian helmet and also why would she be wearing a mandalorian helmet that doesn't mm. make any sense but um even in just like sort of that 24 hour period of speculation, people were spinning all of these great ideas. And then what we got was she's an artist who likes to blow things up. Yeah. And she's a Mandalorian. Yep. Right. Yeah. And that's all they kind of gave us. So I want to know more about her and, uh, and more than any of these characters, I'd really like to know some more about Hera because I don't feel like we got a lot. So let's, let's, listen to her her introduction video and then we can talk about Hera. Alright. If all you do is fight for your own life, then your life is worth nothing. Hera, well Hera's our pilot. The, the ghost is her ship. Uh, she's the one that got it, bought it, swindled it out of someone, however you want it. Whenever someone makes something look easy, it's enjoyable to watch and I think she really makes flying the ghost look easy. You need to go warn them, Ezra. My name is Vanessa Marshall. I play Hera on Star Wars Rebels. Hera guides and leads this band of rebels. Kanan, we have a small situation here. She is a very strong-minded character. If you care to blast one of those ties out of the galaxy, I don't think anyone would object. And at the same time, she's actually quite warm and nurturing. Kind of the heart of the group keeps everybody together when they would otherwise fall apart. She knows how to talk to them to get the best out of themselves and to be part of that team. And that to me is the commander of a ship. 
Hera definitely is a practical, no-nonsense character. She wears utilitarian flight gear. She isn't interested in being glamorous. Not that she isn't glamorous, but it's not a priority for her. Then I love the fact that Hera is a Twi'lek. Plus, I've always liked Twi'leks. I don't know, I think it's because of their Leku. Long head tails. Shields down. Chopper, fix them! The rebels are the way they are because they want to fight back, and the Empire has affected them all in personal ways. And it's uncovering what those things are that really lets you understand the characters in a deeper way. Chop, jam their tractor beam! Every time we get a script, I'm breathless with anticipation. I cannot wait to read what's next. I need to be ready to take off or none of us stands a chance. Because I want to see where we're going too. Okay, so yeah, I I don't know. You tell me, Steve. Do you feel like we got a really good sense of Harris' character from that video? Well, the first thing you hear her say is, you, basically, you can't just fight for yourself. Um, she here's what I like about Hera. I like the fact that what we've got is a Twi'lek, not dressed in a skimpy, you know, top with the midriff off showing, and you know, flowy pants and. Uh, I like the fact that, that we've got a, a Twi'lek female who is, as they said, in the utilitarian clothes. She's a pilot first and foremost. Now, I want you to go back to Ryloth with me from the Clone mm -hmm. Wars. And what we know about Ryloth is that it has been for a while a war-torn, divided planet. And that on one hand, uh, the Empire stepping in and maybe squashing that and putting a stop to it could for a minute be a good thing. But eventually, knowing where most of these Twi'leks end up, you know, enslaved, you know, all the Twi'leks we've seen mostly have been enslaved type roles or oppressed type situations. And, and Hera seems to me to be the one person who, in the vein of that one cat from the Clone Wars, I can't think of his name, from way back landing at point, not landing at point rain days, but uh, the Ryloth trilogy days at the end of season one, um, she seems to be in the vein of him like you know this is what matters and so more than just being the leader of that ship and the captain of that ship to me she seems like she's she's got the clearest vision of what they're doing and why they're doing it she mm -hmm. is she is the most um she is she is the truest rebel as far as like as we know the rebel alliance goes to me of anyone that we've met so far zeb he's got his reasons he likes to bust bucket heads you know uh you know why kanan's on the run sabine okay you know a little rebellious that sort of thing ezra's the the street rat kid uh but this chick hera is she's got she's the pure you know she's the pure of heart when she's the one with the with the pure motives and, and the mindset of freedom and that sort of thing. And so I dig that about her. And, um, and I, you know, now look, there's, there's been a lot of hoopla about, oh man, two lead female characters and one of them's a really, I don't care about all that. Okay. I mean, that's great. Wonderful. Congratulations. But as long as the character, what, what matters to me is, is the character compelling and, she seems like a, a compelling character because she's not a Han Solo captain of a ship kind of thing. And mm -hmm. she's not a, um, a military captain of the ship. She, is a, she seems like an idealist 
and she seems like someone who, um, and I love idealists, by the way, and she seems like someone who has, like I say, her priorities in the right order and her head screwed on right about what's happening and what this little band is doing and, and what the scheme of the larger picture is. So, um, you know, so two out of six. <laughs> okay. So I think it's interesting that you bring up uh, the character that, that you were thinking of was Cham Sindula. Yes. Um, who's the leader of the, the resistance on Rylot. Right. And uh, it's, it's interesting that you bring him up because Hera's full name is actually Hera Sindula. Oh, so, is it? Yeah. So wow. we, we don't know. Um, Dave Filoni has hinted that there's a connection to the Clone Wars in there with Hera's character. We don't know how connected she is to Cham. But uh, he's sort of insinuated that there is a connection there. So, so I th- I think it's interesting that you picked up on that um, just in the as the character, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and that that's obviously uh, going to play into to uh, uh, who Hera is mm-hmm. um, for those of us who watch the Clone Wars, which hopefully is everybody. I mean, I sh- I should hope that everybody who's going to watch this is going to jump on Netflix and check out the Clone Wars before before rebels hits but and if not why why wouldn't you i have no idea why anybody would decide not to watch the clone wars but i they're silly if they don't um so yeah i I mean her character seems like there could be some interesting aspects to it um i i do like that she's uh she kind of she kind of reminds me a little bit of leia uh, in in the sense that she's very uh, no nonsense, sort of get the job done. Mm-hmm. But then, because um, when we first meet Leia, uh, she's obviously like it, it, she's facing down Darth Vader, and then later uh, with Tarkin, and then when she meets Han and Luke, she's giving them all kinds of sass. Right. But then in the moment, one of my favorite defining moments for Leia's character is on the Millennium Falcon right after they've escaped from the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And Luke is ju- finally, not finally, because it's only happened like minutes before, but he's it's hitting him that, that Obi-Wan is gone, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that Darth Vader has seemingly destroyed Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so he's grieving in that moment, and her, her first instinct is to comfort him. So I think that that's a that's one of those parts of Leia's character that makes her really strong is that she's very commanding when she needs to be, but then she can also be very, uh, 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 very caring, uh, when, when she needs to be as well. And it sounds like that's where they're kind of going with Harris character that they're, that they're giving her, her a similar aspect, which, lends itself to that idea of the rebellion and and although uh we may have been introduced to kanan first and he's a jedi so we want to believe that he's the leader um that's sort of our default position Mm -hmm. they specifically say in this video that she's the leader of this group right and i i think that that's an interesting aspect to it that that um sort of our default position is like oh oh kanan's a jedi so he'll be the leader He'll he'll know what to do, right? But that's not the case. It's it's actually he's he's kind of I we'll have to wait and see just how much, but he's kind of taking orders from 
from Hera because it's her ship and uh, and it seems like it's her cause. Well, and see, and that and that turns around and makes Kanan more interesting to me if that's the case. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's typical, I'm the Jedi, I know what's best kind of thing, and, yeah. and not in an arrogant way, but, you know, if it's just that's kind of what, if you get what you expect from that, then that's the problem. You're getting what you expect. But if they flip the script and this kid is, you know, or this dude is 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 not in charge, you know, that this, he, this is someone he sees as an equal or even someone who he defers to their authority then uh, to me that makes Kane in a better character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I, I think that it, there's an interesting opportunity for them to, to play it that way, like you've just said, uh, where, uh, where as, a, as a Jedi, and I use the quote fingers on it, um, as a Jedi, he's deferring to her as as opposed to to that arrogance uh, i worry that that they'll go that angle of him being especially when they refer to him as a cowboy that they'll go that angle of, of conflict that he's constantly second guessing or trying to uh, uh show up hera and mm-hmm. and be a leader even though he's not he might not be the best person for the job um because that tends to be you know i when I think about maybe not so much with Gargoyles, but Greg Weissman also worked on Young Justice. And when I think about Young Justice, that was one of the things that really turned me off of that show was uh, was the way that they, they sort of portrayed Dick Grayson um, and, uh, and the way that a lot of those characters were constantly in conflict with one another, yep. where it was like rather than, than always, you know, kind of looking to work as a team, it was – and I didn't get very far into Young Justice mm-hmm. but because uh, I just – I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, but it just seemed like, you know, everybody would get mad at, at – wait, who was the Flash in that one? It's, it's Wally? Uh, is, it's Kid uh, Flash. I would, so yeah, it's, I would think it would be Bart. Bart, yeah, it's Bart. Um, I never watched. I, wanted, I never watched Young Justice. You never watched no. it, okay? Um, it, 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 everybody'd always be yelling at him because he'd be doing something stupid, and Superboy never wanted to do anything with anybody else because he's a clone, so he's all angry all the time because he was grown in a jar. Right. And uh, and and to me, the biggest failing of Young Justice was that Dick Grayson wasn't Dick Grayson, and he wasn't Jason Todd. And he wasn't Tim Drake, so I don't know who he was supposed to be. Hmm. Like he was called Dick Grayson, but he never really acted like Dick, right. in my opinion. Um, no, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but because uh, my, my opinion of Dick Grayson goes back to the animated series, uh, the the Batman animated series, right? Um, who was always a little bit more like happy go lucky. Well, that right? yeah, Dick. That's who Dick was. Dick. Yeah. Dick was the guy who he had the same. He had a similar tragedy as Bruce. But he never let the darkness of that overtake him the way that Bruce did. Yeah, so I, I don't know, just the way that, that that character and a couple of other characters were handled in that in that group. Um, it, it, I don't know, and I'm told that it got way better in season two, uh, and it's on Netflix, so I should probably watch that. But uh, I'm also told that it, there's a bit of a cliffhanger, so um, <laughs> you know, you get invested in something for it to just already have uh, been canceled not necessarily a good idea in my opinion but um 
But yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried that Kanan might fall into that trap and that he might be one of those characters where he's constantly uh, arguing, you know, like, oh, we should do it my way because I'm a Jedi and Hera is saying, no, that's not the best way for everybody or that's not, you're going to put everybody else in danger or something like that. Yeah, um, And having him be headstrong. Uh, but hopefully it'll be like you said, uh, hopefully it's it's more of a... Um, she is the leader, and he sort of takes takes uh, I, I cues from from Hera. That's what I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, so that's that's the whole ensemble. That's everybody all put together for our heroes. Um, we don't really know that much about the villains yet. We've been introduced to the Inquisitor, uh, which I mean, I I again. When the second that I saw that he had a lightsaber, I was disappointed um, because I was hoping for no lightsabers. I was hoping right. for it to be more of a of a swashbuckling rather than a, 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 a Jedi versus Sith sort of thing. Right. Um, but I we've also I'm trying to remember the character's name, and it's not coming to mind at the moment. Um, but we've also we've been introduced or not introduced yet, but we've seen uh, this other uh, sort of imperial officer character, um, and uh, and I'm trying to remember his name, but it's not going to come to me. So uh, we'll we'll just leave it at that. He's sort of been introduced. He's kind of got uh, uh, this sort of Roman style helmet. It's kind of a stormtrooper helmet, hmm. but it's not quite. Um, and uh, and and we don't really know anything about these bad guys yet, and about about their specific motivations, other than you know they're Imperials, um, and uh, and we don't know who's going to voice them. But we do. There was that rumor that David, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, Oyelowo. Mm-hmm. Oyelowo. No idea. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Uh, that he is going to be voicing somebody in in this uh, in the show, right. and that he might also be in episode seven. So, um, you know, uh, and he's a, he's a pretty pretty well known actor. He's a, he's he's been in a lot of different things, and people might remember him from Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, he was sort of the 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 businessy type scientist guy uh, that, that was constantly telling James Franco that he was doing a terrible job. Um, and, you know, he was the evil, evil corporate uh, uh, face in that one. He was in, he was in Jack Reacher. He was really good in that. Um, he was uh, like a detective, uh, police detective uh, in that. And he was really, really good in that movie. Um, he's been in a, in a few different things. So um, the, a lot of people are sort of uh, guessing that he's going to be playing that that uh, uh, sorry the the inquisitor but uh, I don't know I don't know if I if I if I see those two things coming together but uh, I don't what, what's your imp- opinion on the inquisitor minus the Darth Vader angle because because I think we've kind of already talked about that well I mean <clears throat> I feel like if you're gonna have um I don't know. I I don't like the idea of anyone hunting down Jedi but Vader. But if you're going to eventually have, you know, this this guy that's a uh, 
has ties to the Jedi, you know, come in contact with an enemy, it can't be Vader, you know, because Vader can't fail over and over again every week. I hope that the Inquisitor is not something that we see every week. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that it's, you know, I hope that, that he is used in special episodes, that sort of thing. Um, that, that's the thing is I hope it doesn't fall into a for, in too formulaic a, a cartoon, you know, animated series kind of kind of thing, um, which I don't think it will. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I honestly don't know how I feel about him. I guess I'm going to have to hear him and see him, and see what they do with him. And um, you know, and then there's the big question: Well, why isn't this guy around in the original trilogy? You know, <laughs> there's all yeah. these questions that have to be answered. You know, where does he stand in the hierarchy of Vader and the Emperor? Does the Emperor even know about this guy? Of course he would. You know, but what does he think his role is and that sort of thing? Um, I, it just, you know, at some point he's going to have to be gone, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, And we know that Vader's not opposed to killing people, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my hope is that we get something uh, sort of in the vein of um, uh, him sort of commanding for the first half of the season and then starting to get his hands dirty when things are going wrong and uh, and then eventually failing and, uh, you know, our, our heroes winning their first major victory against the Empire towards the end of the first season. And then really, like, my biggest hope is that the first season ends with, with uh, uh, with the Inquisitor sort of reporting back to the Empire and talking to Tarkin or somebody like that, and and the 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 holograms kind of interrupted and Vader steps in and it's sort of like you better deal with this or I'll have to come deal with it myself and and you definitely don't want that because I'm Darth that, Vader right like that sounds like something Vader would say by the way the whole thing. Yeah. You better deal yeah. with this, or I'm going to have to come deal with myself. And that's something you don't want because I'm Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. I, I I would like to see him dead by the end of the first season because here, what do we know about Vader? When we meet Vader in Star Wars, the first thing he does is choke a dude out. Yeah. Um. You know, when we meet him in, in physically choke him out. When we first see him in Empire, it's not long before he's choking a dude out yeah. with the Force. You know, and and this is Vader. Someone, I mean. We better see those fingers go up when we see Vader, and and we better see the Inquisitor hit the ground choking and apologizing, you know, if not being killed off immediately. But I feel like this is someone who has to be dead by the end of the series because he has failed so much. And that's the other thing is he can't fail. And the yeah. and and one final thing, you know, that really puts a just kind of throws a monkey in the wrench for this series is you look at the opening crawl for Star Wars. It is a period of civil war. Um, rebels striking from their hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. That the the extractions of the Death Star plan were the first real victory the rebels had against the Empire. Now that's not to say they didn't cause some chaos and cause a ruckus and that sort of thing, but we can't be seeing a lot of big victories from these guys. You know what I mean? Like it has to. It's going to have to be small skirmishes here and there, and they're going to have to all. It's going to have to be a skin of your teeth kind of thing mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, and I think they've sort of pointed towards everything centering on on this planet Lothal, yeah. uh, which to me looks a lot like Dantooine. Me too. But, I was thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah, um, but it, so I think when I say you know they they may they win their first victory, it'll be sort of uh, um, something along the lines of they're beginning to. Uh, uh, liberate Lothal mm-hmm. from from the grip of the Empire because from the 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 concept art that we've seen and sort of what Dave Filoni has talked about so far <clears throat> what it sounds like is the Empire has come to this planet in order to sort of well, whether it's uh, you know to set up manufacturing or to, to sort of exploit them for resources or something of that sort the Empire is there for a reason and they've started slowly taking over uh, uh, in the in the cities and and all over the planet, and so this is sort of the the our heroes fighting back against that. And although they've talked about the 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 band of rebels and this being the start of the rebellion, I I'm hoping what they mean by that is the start of one part of the rebellion. You kind of talked about it a little bit. Yeah, the idea of them hooking up with with uh, uh, Mon Mothma and Bail Organa and, and all of the other characters that we classically know uh, have formed the Rebellion um, and and sort of syncing up. And I think the key in that, and I may have talked about it on the last episode, uh, is is in the wording of the Rebels. Because we just sort of talk about them, like, oh, they're the Rebels, you know? Uh, Luke's one of the Rebels, Han's one of the Rebels, Leia leads the Rebellion. But it's the Rebel Alliance. Right. Right, and so it's it's not actually one faction; it's everybody. It's else. all these groups have come together. Yeah, yeah. If, and then, if anything, and, it's a lot. It's actually a lot more like the separatists than it is the republic. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, right? you know, that's the thing. Midway through episode three, or a little more than midway through episode three, what happens is uh, when Order sixty six is hit, suddenly the Confederacy becomes the good guys. The Confederacy of, of of planets, the the separatists, become mm-hmm. become the good guys, and you see it's you know because of the deleted scenes, you know we don't really see that that petition of two thousand or whatever it was that you know ends up with Mon Mothma and Bell Organa and everything presenting to the Emperor, but you do hear Padme at one point saying, "Have you have you ever considered that we're on the wrong side?" Mm-hmm. And Anakin says, "You're starting to sound like a separatist." And she's like, "This war represents, you know, the lack of desire to listen." And and so the minute that Palpatine takes full control, all of these systems that it's you know pulled out of the Galactic Republic are suddenly justified in everything that they were saying. And so I would imagine that you may even find out that some of the people who were part of the rebellion, if we were to really dig into the Rebel Alliance, were actually part of the Separatist planets. Um, not necessarily aligned with Dooku, you know, or, you know, yeah. more in the vein of what Lux's mom was doing. Yeah, you know, exactly. More I was going to say one of, one of the best examples and one of the best places for them to pull in a connection to the Clone Wars, uh, which is something that everybody wants to happen, is with Lux yeah. because... Uh, Lux has a very specific connection to Ahsoka, and people want Ahsoka at some point to come back. So that's one of my hopes, eventual hopes for yeah, the series. I, but here's the thing. 
I honestly, if that's going to happen, I don't mm-hmm. think it needs to happen until late season two or into season three. Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you, yeah. I think I, you I, need to spend this whole season on this planet Lothal so you can kind of get the gist of what's happening and what's happening with this crew specifically. And if you don't, you know, and, and obviously they'll get off of Lothal some because we've seen them going to hyperdrive and that sort of thing. But that needs to be where they're constantly coming back to. That needs to be the center hub of what's going on. And then. As I said, as the show progresses, once we've gotten to know these characters, once I've learned to like these characters, once we've kind of figured out everybody, then you, you know, maybe one of the arcs in a season is them looking for other rebels, you know, looking to start to form these alliances with other rebels across the galaxy. And that's how you bump up into a Bell Organa, who is part of the Imperial Senate. Let's not forget that he's still acting in the empire as a senator from alderaan that these are that he's still there and he's secretly part of the rebellion and so you know for him to interact with these guys could really be in trouble but you know maybe through a series of events they 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 find their way to having an audience with bail or mon mothma or i would love to see a general riken or a general dadana some of these people that we didn't a general Maidine, some of these people that we didn't get to spend a lot of time with in in the original trilogy, but they were there and they obviously had authority and, and we need, you know, and I, and I think it'd be cool to get to flesh out those characters a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I I think there's a lot of opportunity down the road to start bringing in that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and I agree with you. I, I, I don't want, uh, I don't want the galaxy to get too big, too fast. Right. Right. To keep them, focused on on the central uh characters that they're developing for this but i also i i i trust that dave filoni kind of learned the lesson with the clone wars because what we saw with the clone wars was we saw it start as this far-reaching huge scope of you know characters all over the galaxy and we're jumping from one place to another and we're bouncing around in in the timeline and uh and it, it was really a lot of effort to keep track of everything, keep mm-hmm. tabs on everybody. Um, and what they ended up doing is, you know, season one was all over the place. Season two, less so. And then I like to say in season three, they kind of just smoothed out all the wrinkles halfway through yep. and went, okay, from here on out, everything's chronological with the odd callback episode that, that sort of fleshes something mm-hmm. out. But for the most part, everything from from midpoint of season three, and I mean, there's a there's a very technical reason for that, and it's because they changed the models for Anakin and, and Obi Wan and Ahsoka. Right. So when they when they did that, it was like, well, we can't have the new models of Obi Wan and Anakin, and especially Ahsoka, because they made her look older, appearing in past timelines, right. and that sort of thing. But also from a story perspective, it was. From season three onwards, it felt like we were building, yep. right? Whereas season one and two, although season two is definitely better on the whole, uh, more action-packed, and, and the world started to look more fleshed out, um, it, 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 they, they didn't quite have a, a momentum building. But season three onwards, it felt like they were building a momentum towards the end of the of the war. So uh, I I do think that that Dave Filoni uh, and his team learned their lesson from that. That it really it helps to be focused and to have that that um, 
that core of characters, especially early on. Because mm-hmm. one of the biggest things with the Clone Wars is that as they, because it, it's computer animated, as they they build assets, the world can become more lively. The the galaxy can can have more aliens in it and that right, sort of thing. Right. But when you're starting out. You know, you go to Jabba's Palace and there's three different kinds of aliens and you're like, well, that's not really Jabba's Palace, mm-hmm. you guys. Like, and that was one of the biggest complaints about the, the movie that people had is, you know, oh, oh I mean, I, it was something I was critical of in the in, yeah. in the time. You know, it's like if you're going to undertake this kind of thing, you've got to be willing to have the you know, you've got to do what you got to do to to really expand yeah. and, and show the vastness of this universe. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and they eventually did. They got there. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, with season six, with everything that's on Netflix, uh, that was released on Netflix, you, you really see that, that the galaxy had become bigger for them. But I think it's a really smart idea in this first season to focus on Lothal and, uh, and you know, to have it, you know, explained at some point or maybe just sort of inferred that it's a mostly human planet mm-hmm. or... You know uh, that that it's mostly Imperials, which means by default it's mostly human. Right. Um, and they can they can pull story elements in through that, right? Because uh, having characters like like Hera and and Zeb will be much more conspicuous yep. if you're in in a primarily Imperial location, because Imperials just don't do a lot of business with a lot of aliens. Yep. So um, they they can do some cool stuff to make it simple early on but also fit the story and i i just hope that 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 i'm right when i say that that they've learned their lesson and that with this first season we'll get a very focused um almost isolated story so that so that we can build character relationships and they can also you know build assets as they go and like pop a character in here and there and uh, and have it justified and then eventually when we get to seasons two three four we start to see the the wider galaxy, and we bring in Admiral Akbar, who is at the time not quite an admiral yet, or something. You know, we we go to Mon Calamari, revisit it because we saw it in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I that think, sort of thing. I think that what you've got here not only have they learned their lesson, but you're also not dealing with an independent group anymore. You're dealing with a group that's under the corporation logo of Disney. And Disney has a specific set way they like to do their stuff. And if they came in and said, "Yeah, we're going to be jumping all over the timeline. We're going to be over here," then we're, then they, you know, there'd be someone up the chain that would say, "No, you're not." Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have we've got to. And I, I hate to say this because this is always one of those big things that's late. You know, that's that's leveled at the at George Lucas and Lucasfilm in general. But it's truth. But this is a true thing. We've got toys to sell. We've got you know kids to turn on these characters. We've got things to do in the park with these characters. You're going to focus on these characters, and and so I think that that's part of it too. Is is that's why we've heard Lothal, and that's why we've been introduced to these six characters. I think they're going to be very core. I don't think we're going to step away from them, but I think that we're going. They're going to be our inlet into the rest of the Rebel Alliance as the show progresses beyond this first season. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it it feels that way, and I think you're right. Uh, the the Disney influence uh, is felt 
in that aspect. Um, a lot of people are complaining because it's bright and colorful, and they're blaming Disney for that. Um, I, I don't disagree. I think that that's also a Disney influence. Um, it seems like purple and orange are kind of their their main color palette for our heroes. It's purple, orange, and green. Mm-hmm. If you look, all all six of the main characters have one of those three colors, if not two of them, as their mm-hmm. sort of as their main colors that, that make them stand out. But I think that that's just um, that's just good design because uh, it, it keeps us um, then we know who our heroes are. Yep. You know, we, yep. we can pick them out of a crowd. There, they stand out. If everybody else is in grays and and dull browns and colors like that and we have our heroes in orange and purple and green they'll they'll pop on screen mm-hmm. but i but i i'm i'm personally a really big fan of of this new bright colorful approach to it um you're in the animated space so i think that you should take advantage of it um the clone wars was very beholden to the star wars aesthetic uh, and and although that was really cool at times, it was also there's a lot of moments in the Clone Wars where you see ships and you go, did they really did they do anything to stylize that? Because it just looks like the ship from the movies. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, you see the space battles and you're like, well, this really just looks like there's like a, episode three. There's right? a neat moment in one of in in the in in the introduction to Sabine. Or when you're watching it, and it looks like it's a complete thing, or either it was a complete thing or it was a, a picture of some concept art, and she's looking at kind of a landing grounds for some TIE fighters, and the TIE mm-hmm. fighters are white. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to everyone who's my age and, and, <laughs> and remembers the old Kenner collection, um, that that blue gray tie fighter didn't come around for a few years. They you know the tie fighters used to be white. Yeah. And you know as far as the toy collection went. And we've already talked about they're bringing in the Imperial Troop Transport from the old Kenner collection. Um they're doing a lot of neat things and so it, you know again, it's not that I'm not excited about this series and it's not that I'm not looking forward to it. I'll be sitting there just like everyone else is when it premieres watching it and hopefully enjoying it. Um it's just that I for you know, like I say, four out of six of these characters haven't really hit me in the right spot. But the two that have really have, you know, Zeb and Hera, I'm really looking forward to. And, and hopefully um, the interactions around them and the way they position these characters will really, really cause me to turn the corner on it. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, it's it's one that I'm not I'm not even making a call that this is going to be stupid. I'm just saying that, you know, I hope that I'm proven wrong in my expectations and, and what I'm seeing on these things. I hope that they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you thought you knew. You know, based on your little, con- you know, your cartoon background, but you don't know. And so- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I just, I just put a lot of faith in uh, in the creative team that uh, that they know what they're doing. Uh, we got, we did get six, well, five and a half, mm-hmm. really great seasons uh, when when you sort of take them as a whole yeah. for uh, the Clone Wars. So I, I'm. I'm inclined to trust Dave Filoni because uh, there's also if anybody's a fan of Avatar: The Last Airbender, because um, he directed those that whole series, the the three seasons of that series, and that that's an excellent series. But did he direct is, him, or was he just involved in the crew of directors? Was was he a director? He, on w- the he was uh, in in a similar position 
on that show that he is on the Clone Wars, where he was sort of the supervising director. Okay, I didn't so realize he, he was the supervising he, director. Yeah, like oversaw the 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 entire the entire series uh, on the animation side right. and and a bit on the story side. Okay, um, but I I also worry a little bit because every season of Clone Wars, there's that one arc or one episode if you're talking about the earlier seasons that is just to me a real stinker right like um <laughs> season six is the only one that didn't get that i think because because we only got half the season they so tried they tried with the jar jar but it turned they, out really good they tried but it was excellent right? it was it yeah the, the whole temple of doom feel yep. to it in the first episode um yeah no i i like Every other season to me has like the one arc that will really stand out for me that I'm like, wow, I see what they were going for, but they completely missed the mark. Right. So I worry a little bit that, that I see what they're going for right now because we've gotten so little from Rebels mm-hmm. that that we're going to get the first episode and it's going to be like, oh, oh, that's an awful lot like that that droid arc from season five. Mm. Ooh, that's not fun. Because... Uh, <laughs> Anybody who listens to Frontlines will know that I was not a fan of that arc. Um, <laughs> I don't know anyone that was, Michael. I, I've, I've not talked to anybody that thought, hey, this was a huge sweeping success by Filoni and crew. Yeah. I don't know. Steven Stanton seems to be pretty pretty excited about it, but I think that's mostly because of his character. I, I There's a there's a thing that I always go back to because we, we had Steven Stanton on an episode in the middle of that arc, and I said to him, I love the character of Mieber Gascon. I hate what they're doing to him in this plot. Like it, that, I liked the vocal performances. I liked all of the characters they introduced, and that's where I'm worried. Right? I like all of the characters that they're introducing. I like the looks of everything. I worry that the execution might be just like those three degrees to the right. Right. That means that it misses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I. I don't know. I, I, I'm really hoping that, 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 like I said, they've learned their lessons on the Clone Wars and that this is uh, the majority of the team is is a seasoned team of storytellers that, that is familiar with the Star Wars universe, that's been doing this for a while, and that can pull this all together and start the series off. If they can start it off half as well as the Clone Wars finished, I'll be happy. Right, but if we get another Clone Wars movie <laughs> to start it off, I'm probably going to be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, right. That's that's because. Uh, well, I think I think they're I think they're starting from a better starting point than they were from with the Clone Wars. As far as I think they've got more, um, I think they've just got more tools under their belt than they had even when they started the Clone Wars. And from a if you go back, I know a lot of people don't like the movie. I'm okay with the movie. Uh, I think there's a lot of good about it. There, there are the missteps as they were trying to still figure out what this thing's going to be. But they've done a Star Wars animated series now, as you've said. They know how to work these things, and, and nine times out of ten, I think, know what works. They've got that tool. They've got the tool of, of, of designing some of this stuff and getting some of the natural elements to work and that sort of thing, even though it's not the same style per se as the clone wars there's some differences but from a technological standpoint of of crafting and getting some of the natural elements to work you know mm-hmm. um th- they've got that there 
So I think they're starting a few steps ahead of where they started with the Clone Wars, just in terms of the technology that they have available and, and the technical ability that they have now that they didn't have those years ago with the Clone Wars. And the Clone yeah. Wars movie was revolutionary had it aired on TV. Yes. You know, you put it on a big yeah. screen against Pixar at the time, not so great. But on uh, on the television screen, yeah. revolutionary. And it continued to get better and better and better and better. And I feel like they're springboarding off of where they were technically from the Clone Wars to Rebels. And so I think we're going to be uh, well pleased with the results. Okay, cool. Well, I think that that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, do you have anything else, Star Wars, that you want to get off your chest while while you're uh, on, on the Rebels podcast? Uh, there's been a lot of rumors that... Uh, there's some locations in Morocco being filmed as Tatooine for episode mm -hmm. seven. And I couldn't be more happy. I feel like Tatooine is, if not in actuality, a spiritual center in the galaxy, in the star Wars universe. It's definitely a spiritual center in the story of star Wars for the viewers. And, mm -hmm. um, to have Tatooine involved in any way in episode seven to me is a great idea and a great concept. I am, I'm still looking forward to how they're going to do things. And after that Marvel fanfare we got at the beginning of uh, Thor, when Thor 2 came out and the new yeah. Marvel logo and everything, I'm excited to see what they may let John Williams do with a Lucasfilm fanfare where we don't have to, not that I'm anti-Disney, but we don't have to bother with Disney, you know, sticking the Disney castle and everything right up front the way that um, a lot of people seem to think they'll do. Yeah, I'm hoping that they replace the Disney castle with the Jedi Temple. And they uh, and they they do because uh, in 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 other movies they've done stuff like in Tron. Yeah, it was it was sort it was it was the castle. It was the shape of the castle, but it had that grid look to yep, it, right? Yep, yep. Um, they've done that a couple of times with a couple of different things where they, especially with the live action stuff, where they've allowed them to modify that slightly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, it's it's interesting because we have that. I mean. Part of the experience of seeing Star Wars, especially in the theater, is the lights go down, the Fox fanfare comes up, and then we go into the Lucasfilm logo, and then into silence, mm -hmm. and then the blue letters come up, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be really interesting going into episode seven for that to be different, right? And it it's not the first time, though, because it was different for the Clone Wars when that was released in theaters because that started with the Warner Brothers logo right. and went into the Lucasfilm logo. Yep. So it's, it's, it's not completely foreign, but it will be foreign for a lot of the audience because not that many people saw the Clone Wars movie uh, in general and sure. not that many saw it in the theater for sure. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. But um, I don't, I'm, I just I really wish that they would release some real news. As I've I've said I I think on other podcasts, um, they keep pretending like they have news for us, but they don't, right? I I they they acted like oh R two D two is going to be in the movie. That's really big news, you guys. And I was like, well, it's a Star Wars movie. R two D two better be in it. Well, know? I can tell you this. Um, I can tell you this. I I know this that. I understand they have four R2 units, and mm -hmm. one of them is for sure working by now. <laughs> that's, 
there you go. So yeah, I, I hopefully they all work. Um, but it, 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 the best thing about R2 in this movie, in, in episode 7, is that uh, they've been built by the fans. And uh, if there's anything that I've learned by going to Star Wars Celebration and by watching all of the behind-the-scenes stuff from the original trilogy and even the, the prequels and listening to George Lucas talk about the droid builders, the droid builders at, at Celebration, the fans that build these droids... Build them better than the prop builders that make them for the movies. Because, build them better and cheaper. Yeah, because you see them, you'll be walking around the, the floor at, at a Star Wars celebration, and you'll see an R2-D2, and he'll pop six things out of them, and his mm-hmm. head will spin around, and the leg will pop out of the bottom. He'll do all of that. And uh, and as George Lucas said... And not, I, and I, not run into anything, by the way. And not run into anything. That, as George Lucas said, they couldn't get one R2 to do two things right so i uh, so well, having, having the fans having the the I, I i don't know their names but the two guys that they've brought in that that are r2 builders mm-hmm. that are droid builders coming in to work on it it's really cool right. for the fans that that these fans people like us get to now contribute to star wars but mm-hmm. it's also cool to know that the r2 on screen will probably be doing most of the things that he does yep, yep. so uh cool Cool. Any, any, anything else? Check out geekoutpodcast.com for all of the Geek Out Loud family of podcasts. Okay, that's that's the only plug you want to do? That's it? Just right at the end there? Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, well, <laughs> that does it for us on this year's second episode of the Rebels podcast. Uh, we will be back in, I think, about a month's time. I, I I think May nineteenth is when we're going to record our next episode, and I've got some special guests slated for that. Uh, 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 somebody that you podcast with on a regular basis, uh, Steve. So who, I, who? I hope people who? can look forward to that. Who's that? Uh, who's that? Yeah. Uh, well, he might he might be uh, the newly crowned uh, uh, king of awkward podcast conversation. Oh, incredible! Uh, great, yeah. great. It's, so we'll leave it at that, and we'll let people ponder over who that might be. Send him, I, send him my love. I will. I All right. Will sure. <laughs> okay. I, but as I said, that does it for us. You can uh, always find us online at rebelspodcast.com. That is our website. I. Uh, Tim does a great job of posting all of the latest news about Rebels and a little bit about general Star Wars news there as well. Um, if you want to hear about the Clone Wars, you can jump over to CloneWarsPodcast.com where Matt and I are still in the midst of covering uh, all of Season 6, the, the Lost Missions. Uh, we just wrapped up the first arc and we'll be uh, starting the second arc next week. So uh, so head over to CloneWarsPodcast.com for that. And uh, if you want to hear more uh, speculation and and musings about Episode 7 and the future of the Star Wars saga, uh, you can head over to StarWarsTSC.com. That's Star Wars The Saga Continues. Um, And and that's uh, Tim and Kyle handle everything over there. They've got their podcast and they also post a lot of news about sort of more the general side of Star Wars over there. So that's all of our sites uh, within the the front lines family of podcasts and websites, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Rebels Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Rebels Podcast. 
and uh, and and that's it. That's all for for this episode of the Rebels podcast, and we will catch you guys in about a month's time. Thanks for listening.